0: We're going to continue to worship just in this environment, but just before we go back into it, I just want Murray to share something that God placed on his heart here.
1: Uh, When I was in school, which may have been a long time ago, um, I used to love math because math is always right or wrong. I didn't really like English and social where there was no wrong answers, Um, but there were rules within math. Uh, you had things that were constant and things that were variables, yet you had, you had things that, that didn't change. And when I hear this song, I hear two things that have, to be, that have to be constants in our life. One is that God is a good father, and the other is that we are his sons and daughters. And those have to be constants, they cannot change. There's other things when we're trying to figure out our lives, when we're trying to solve for X and wonder what why is this happening in our lives? But those things cannot change. Whenever you think about whatever's going on in your life, just stand in that place where those two things are always true. And then you'll be able to figure out the rest.
0: So as we go back into worship, just be in his presence. And realize that as you stand in this room or sit in this room, the love of God can just usher over all of you. Every situation, every problem, and all you have to do is draw on his name. So, Father, as we go back into this worship, this time of worship, God, Father, we just draw on you. Because you are King of kings, Lord of lords. You are constant. You are everything, God. And so, Father, we draw on the name of Jesus Christ. We draw on you in Jesus' name. When we do this as well, we're, we're singing over the city of Edmonton today too, right? If you haven't heard, the first terrorist attack in Edmonton in the name of ISIS, a police officer was stabbed multiple times last night at midnight. Five people were hit by a vehicle. He just drove around hitting them. And so as we sing this, we are singing into our region that God will bring peace, that he will do exactly what is talking about. God is the one who will bring justice. So let's just continue to do this. And as we do this, let's pray for that police officer's family and for all these other people that were hit by a car. Let's just take a second here and stand to our feet. And let's just declare that God is good. God, you are good. God, you are so good. Just begin to lift your voice to him and tell him how good he is. Jesus, you are so good. So good, Father. All you do is good, Father. We worship you, Father, because you are so good.
2: So in a little bit, I'm going to start reading in Genesis 18 and 19. So if you want to get a head start, you can open your Bible or your Bible app, and that's where I'll be reading. Uh, I just discovered... There's this movie that I love. Uh, I just discovered that it actually came out in 2006, which makes me feel super old. Um, And that movie is called Over the Hedge. Has everybody seen that? Okay. So if you haven't heard about it, it's this cartoon, uh, and you definitely need to watch it this afternoon because it's awesome. Uh, this, This raccoon named RJ steals food from a crazy bear who then... Threatens to eat RJ, and so he tricks this like cute little family woodland creature uh, group of them into collecting food for him, so they can pay him back. So he can pay the back and the bear back, and then hilarity ensues. Right uh, now, there's this one character in the, in the movie who I absolutely love, and that character's name is Hammy. Right. Hammy is a squirrel, and he is your typical ADD, uh, cannot focus for more than three seconds tops, and he's back and forth and all over the place. And now I really like Hammy, because not only is he entertaining to watch, right? But I love him because there's actually a part of me that relates with him, right? Especially in our crazy, crazy, fast-paced culture that we live in. In Proverbs 4, it says, look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. But sometimes in my life, I feel like hammy. Always going, looking around, not being able to focus for too long. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. We have bills, we have family, we have friends, work, you have kids. They all make it really, really hard to tell which direction we are going. And just like most of us in this room, I have a lot going on. I work a full-time job, I work here at the church, I life coach, and amidst staying connected with friends and family while trying to maintain a healthy relationship with Jesus. And every once in a while, people will come up to me and that care about me And they'll say, Paul, you need to slow down, right? Hopefully we all have friends like that. And I value and appreciate that there are people in my life who are willing to come to me and make sure that I am doing a good job of taking care of myself. And I think everyone should have that. On one side, there's truth to that. We need to be able to have healthy boundaries. We need to make sure that we're caring for ourselves in a healthy and proper way. And we need time to relax and to recover. And on the other side of the conversation, sometimes when people come to me and say that, it actually makes me laugh out out loud a little bit. If any of you decided to be creepy for a week and follow me around, you would discover that I actually have a lot of free time on my hand. And I can arrive at that conclusion because whenever I think about my life, I can just compare myself to someone like my friend Ben. Ben has so many roles and responsibilities, but I know that Ben is a workaholic based on this one thing. Ben has four healthy children. That end of point. Every parent knows that parenting is a 24-7 job. There's no weekends, there's no coffee breaks, and there's no statutory holidays. I think juggling is a great analogy for life, right? We have three hacky sacks in life and we're trying to juggle hoping that nothing ever falls or drops. And then hopefully one day we get married, right? And all of a sudden you're juggling your three hacky sacks and then you get married and it's like someone throws you a porcupine, right? And so now you're trying to juggle three hacky sacks and a porcupine and hopefully you've learned, you've you've taken the time to learn how to juggle a porcupine properly because if you throw it wrong it's going to come down and stab you, right? Makes sense. Ask the married people. So now you're trying to juggle these four things. Hopefully nothing drops, but you know what? Every once in a while something does. And you feel like you're actually finally trying to get the hang of it. You're starting to get the hang of it when someone, usually the woman, has the idea, hey, let's have a baby. The man's like, okay, whatever. And you think you're ready for a baby, but then the baby comes and it's like someone tosses you a bowling ball. So now you're trying to juggle a porcupine, a bowling ball, and three hacky sacks. And it's really heavy, it's new, it's tough. And hopefully, over time, you start to figure out your rhythm once again. Then the second baby comes. And this one, you have some experience, so you understand it a little bit better. So this time, it's just like they toss you a second, smaller bowling ball. And then the third baby now you're outnumbered, and seriously, thirdborns are are some of my favorite people to watch. Uh, this is kind of a generalization, but typically thirdborns are like the hidden children that no one really pays attention to. So they'll do anything possible to uh, get attention, or like, hey, look at me, look at me. And so now, instead of someone throwing you a bowling ball, it's like this little crazy monkey with a fork runs up to you and starts stabbing you in the ankle, <laughs> right? That's, with, that's how I would describe a thirdborn. And then some people even have a fourthborn. And let's just say we, fourthborns, are the most calm, uh, relaxed, chilled out, easiest to raise ever. I think that's a great analogy on life. So whenever I feel like I'm doing too much, I look at people like Ben who's juggling all these different things, and sometimes I start to compare myself to him, and I'm reminded that I actually have a lot of free time in this season of my life that I can focus on the thing that God's called me right now. Because when we compare ourselves to other people, the grass is always greener on the other side. And I think that as humans, comparison is one of the biggest battles that we always have to fight every single day, especially in our culture. It works two ways. Either we're walking through life and we start to wonder how we're doing, and instead of looking to God for the answer, we start to look to the left or to the right, or we look to our past, and we think, oh, well, I'm doing better than that person, or I'm doing better than that person, so my relationship with God is great. Or there's the other side of comparison where we're walking through life and we have expectations about ourselves or about our lives and we look at other people and we compare ourselves to them to their lives and what God's called them to, and then we start to feel bad about ourselves. I think we can all relate comparison is built into the fabric of our culture. But I'm but God knew that that we would struggle with this. And so he put together a book where we can learn from other people the lessons that we need for today. So if you haven't yet, turn with me to Genesis 19. And so this is a story about uh, Lot and Abraham. And so Abraham was this really wealthy guy who had everything everything you could possibly imagine in that culture at the time. And he gets a call out of the blue Uh, from God one day to give up his comfort and move to some random country. And Abraham says yes and reacts the opposite of how most of us spoiled Canadians would react if we were told to uproot and move to the Northwest Territories. So he uproots his life, takes some family with him like his nephew Lot, and goes on this journey to a strange land. And since their family, Abraham and Lot, get along perfectly and nothing bad ever happens. That's a joke. Every single family has some kind of struggle. Ever, if your family doesn't have a struggle, there's something wrong with your family. They have struggles, they have disagreements, and at one point they have to part ways because they're too wealthy, which honestly, amen, that's a great problem to have. Let's well pray for that. So Lot gets to choose the area he's going to settle his his family in first, and he chooses the most beautiful, well-watered area close to the city of Sodom. He settles there with his family and all of his servants and livestock. But Sodom was incredibly corrupt, it was incredibly evil, and it was incredibly vile, and God decides enough is enough and visits Abraham to tell him that he is going to destroy the city. Now Abraham's concerned, and rightly so, because part of his family is living there, and he barters with God to try to save the city. And in that conversation that Abraham's having with God, I think that both of them know that there's not a chance Sodom's going to be saved. I I feel like Abraham probably visited the city and saw it and was like, this is a terrible city. And even though Abraham is trying to, to reason with God and to barter with God, I think deep down inside he knew that it was over. And I think he was more concerned about his family. So God makes a deal with Abraham, and then he decides he's going to go into the city, send two angels, and warn Lot to get out. And so we'll pick up in Genesis 19. I'm going to start in 12 to 26. Meanwhile, the angels question Lot, "'Do you have any other relatives here in the city?' they asked. "'Get them out of this place, your son-in-laws, your, son-in-law's, your sons, daughters, or anyone else, for we are about to destroy the city completely.'" The outcry against this place is so great it has reached the Lord and has sent us to destroy it. So Lot reached out to tell his daughter's fiancées, Quick, get out of the city. The Lord is about to destroy it. But the young men thought he was only joking, as all of us would think. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot, take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside of the city, for the Lord was merciful. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Oh no, my lord, Lot begged, you have been so gracious to me and saved my life and you have shown such great kindness, but I cannot go to the mountain. Disaster would catch up to me there, and I would soon die. See, there's a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said, I will grant your request. I will not destroy this little village, but hurry, escape to it, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. This explains why that village was known as Zoar, which means little place. Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following behind him, and she turned into a pillar of salt. And I think especially nowadays, it's easy to look back at Lot's wife and be like, what were you thinking? right? When I read that story, I'm like, what were you thinking? Why did you turn around? But what if we put ourselves in her place? What if we considered that she was leaving her home, she was leaving everything she knew, that maybe she had doubts that these two crazy people that showed up at her house in the middle of the night and told her to leave her city were not actually angels. She probably had a good in Sodom. She probably had a comfortable life that she had worked hard to build. I mean, what if one day two strangers showed up at your house in the middle of the night, told you you had to leave everything and just leave Spruce Grove? What about your friends, your car, your pets? What about your family and all the other people that you cared about? When we put ourselves in the story, it becomes a little bit easier to relate to how she felt in that moment where she was comparing her old life to what God was calling to that was right in front of her she got distracted and she turned away from what God had called her to. She was staring a hard journey right in front of her, away from everything she knew and cared about, and began to let the thought in her head cause her to look back to what was behind her. Lot's wife's destruction started out with a thought. I miss my home. I miss the old. I miss the way things were. Abraham got up early that morning and hurried out to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain towards Sodom and Gomorrah and watched as columns of smoke rose from the city like smoke from a furnace. But God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plains. For you and me, Satan knows that he cannot come at us with everything he's got. He knows that if he attacks us straight on, we'd recognize it fairly easy, right? We'd recognize it fairly quickly. And so what he does... Ready to play Pictionary? (coughs) My brother got all the drawing talents in my... I should have practiced this yesterday. Okay, so this... This is your brain... That's terrible. Man. And this is going to be worse. Please no one judge me. Ah. Well, you should have sat up front. And that's Hammy. Now, okay, here we go. Look. Look at my beautiful drawing. Everyone see? Everyone see my beautiful drawing? Satan knows he can't attack us. He can't attack us head on, right? He knows. So what Satan does is he is a ninja. And he plants that little thought. He plants that little comparison in your head. And if we, as Christians, don't know how to defend against it and don't know what to do with it, it's like he plants that thought and then he steps back, right? And he waits for Hammy to go, right? That's what happens. And hammy goes nuts in your head. It's true. And if we don't learn how to control the thoughts of comparison or those little things that Satan plants in our head, we're going to lose. So how do we control this? How do we battle this? First off, we need to know ourselves, and we need to recognize the areas of our lives where there's pain, because typically the areas where we are hurting is where Satan will attack us. I'm just going to be a little bit vulnerable right now and say that in my life, the fact that I'm single and I don't have a family is a painful area in my life. And I know that when I'm not on my guard and I'm not careful that that Satan will plant why questions in my head and then step back and wait to see what happens. Why does that person have a family but I don't? Maybe for you, it's why am I single? Maybe for you, it's why am I married? For some of you, it might be, why am I going through this difficult financial situation? Or why is that disease affecting that person that I care about? We need to know the places where we're most vulnerable. And there's probably tons of ways to to learn how to control those thoughts that go in our head and those comparisons that go in our mind. But I'm going to mention two, and those two things are gratitude and blessing. Blessing. If I stop and take time to recognize and express gratitude to God for all the things in my life, it helps me control the thoughts and recognize what is in front of me. And if I stop and I say, you know what, I bless Ben, I bless Jen, I bless their marriage. If I start to speak blessing over someone else, then there's no room in my head or in my mouth or in my heart for cursing someone other, some other people. Could you imagine the difference of our lives and in our community if we went around speaking blessing on everyone we encountered? So as I close today, I want to first speak a word that, that this whole thing, this came from a word that God gave me a couple weeks ago. And then I'm going to explain what this jar is. So the last couple of weeks as I was preparing for this, God kept putting the moms on our, in our church on my heart, particularly those moms with smaller kids. So if that's you, you need to pay attention and listen really carefully. And uh, if there's any guys in here and your wife is not in here, make sure that she listens to this later. Okay, you listening, moms? You are in a season of life right now where you are particularly vulnerable comparison. You might spend a lot of time at home with your kids, or you might spend a lot of time at home on social media, and you see all these perfect pictures from other people, and you don't understand because you feel like your life is a mess, and you're barely keeping it together. And I feel like God wanted me to remind you here this morning that you are doing an amazing job. Even though no one is saying thank you, Because what you are doing right now is vital for the kingdom of heaven. And if you get anything wrong in your parenting, here's one tip. Just be a role model to your children what it looks like to pursue Jesus. Keep focused on that one thing and don't get distracted. Don't start looking behind you. Don't start looking um, beside you at the other moms who appear to have it all together. And the rest will fall into place. For some of you, you just need to delete Facebook off your phone for a month and allow God to speak a new revelation of your identity into who you are so you can learn how to control the thoughts that pop up as you are scrolling through your Facebook feed. So God, I want to pray a special blessing over all the moms in this house. I pray for strength, I pray for courage, I pray for perseverance, and I pray for a new heart to pursue you. So here's why this jar is up here. One of the best ways that we can battle comparison or we can battle the negative thoughts in our head is by blessing. So if you choose, and this is not, I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to sit here and watch, like, who does this? This is up to you. This is between you and God. But on, in this jar, uh, in a couple of weeks, there's um, the elections happening in Spruce Grove. Um, and so on. This in this jar, there are names written of people in this church, youth in our church, and it's only first names, so you probably won't know who it is. Um, and even if you do, don't go tell them. But just take a name and put it somewhere where you can see it this week. And every time you see it, just begin to bless that person. Um, just begin to speak over them um, that God would would bless them and and just show them new things. Because in here is is names from uh, our church, there's names from The people that are running in the community in next week or in two weeks in Spruce Grove, there's even federal politicians in there. Um, So at the end of the service, if you feel called, grab a name out of there and take it home and just pray a blessing over them for the next two weeks. You won't know who you're blessing, but the thing is that God does. And I believe that over the next couple weeks, as we as a body do this, that there will be some massive shifts in the atmosphere in our homes, and in our workplaces, and in our schools. So I'm going to close in prayer. God, I thank you for this body, and I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for uh, what you're doing in this community. And God, I just pray that we would be a place that would be able to, that that blessings would come out of our mouth naturally. That that no thoughts the Satan plants in any one of us would be able to take root, because... um, because there's there's no room for them. And so, God, I just pray over the next couple of weeks that you begin to teach us and you begin to reveal things to us um, that, that only come from you. So, God, just bless this body this week. Bless the moms this week. God, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: So why don't we stand to our feet just as we close and we release you all to go home and enjoy your afternoons. So, God, I thank you for every single person in this place, God. We pray a special blessing on each person in this house today, God, on our visitors today, God. We pray that you would touch them in a powerful, in an amazing way, God, that today you'll do whatever it is they need, God. They came here for a reason, And God. Our heart is that you would touch them, God. And so, Father, we give you glory, and once again we declare that you are a good God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Be blessed and encouraged as you leave.